exciting show today because we have a world premiere. We're going to talk about Carl and one of our favorite local troops, Metro Theater Company, is celebrating its 50th anniversary in town. It's very exciting. We are happy to have our guest, Joe Fowler, from MetroPlays.org and their new show, Spells on the Sea. And then around minute 21, we'll talk about Disney's new plans. Around minute 25, Magic Mike's Last Dance. Around minute 34, Turn Every Page. Around minute 39, The Oscars and the High Point Theater. And then around minute 42, The Theater Roundup. And I just found out Burt Backrack died. Yes, that happened... Uh this morning or they they announced it this morning one of the highlights of my teenage years because yes i was a drama geek theater nerd and i went to see bird backrack at the muni on july 1st 1970 with my mother and grandmother and i sent babysitting money in cash to the muni for my tickets you sent so anyway, cash in the mail and you still got yeah. tickets yeah mm-hmm. This was 1970. Okay. Anyway, uh, he brought out the Carpenters. He goes, I'd like yes, to- Yes, I did hear that story. Yeah, yeah. He was like, I'm bringing out these young kids, you know, and, and they sang Close to You, their new single, and I don't remember what else. But He was 94 years old. I know. This was after his big Oscar night with Butch Cassidy and, and uh, all that. So, yeah. So we have a little bit of local history. Well, anyway, we have Joe Fowler here. Hello, Joe. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Carl. La- last time we Hi, saw Joe. you was during the pandemic when you were doing the proverbial pivot. <laughs> that is true. I think most every company has continued to find ways to uh, to, to further that proverbial p- pivot. I I know that we, we are in a pandemic recovery period now, let's call it, but... Um, Goodness knows COVID is still with us. And so we all are still adapting as best we can in, in the, the world we, we're part of. Well, what's lovely about your, because it is live and it's at the Grand Dell and it's a wonderful space to see the shows there. But also you have a video stream available for those that are not comfortable yet with returning. That is correct. It's available. Our streaming has been available since um, the pandemic began. And um, what we found is it's it's helpful for people who might not yet be ready to return to live performances, but it's also helpful for people who might have geographic accessibility needs or who might literally not be in the St. Louis area and want to engage with our programming. So we've been, um, as a result of streaming, we've been bringing in audiences now from 40 some odd states over the course of any given year as people are tuning in from other parts of the country to see what we're up to. So it's been a nice way to extend our reach. And um, Metro began as a touring company. So it actually is sort of a nice way of coming back to where we started uh, in a new sort of technology path, because we're now getting to communities that we might have toured to in the 80s and the 70s, um, but we're getting to them through streaming now. Um, which is which is quite lovely. There are school districts that we toured to long ago that are now booking our programs uh, on camera because they can. So that's one piece of the, I guess, pandemic pivot that has been a silver lining uh, for, for us. And we're, we're grateful for that. Well, that's wonderful. And uh, this is a world premiere. So tell us about Spells of the Sea and how did this come about? Sure. So Spells of the Sea is this really 
joyful and heartfelt piece of theater. Um, it began um, as a podcast. So uh, Gwenny Govea and Anna Pickett were students um, at the University of Texas, Austin. And when the pandemic first started, um, they both were really feeling kind of isolated from the world, like we all were. And Gwenny is a songwriter, she's a playwright, she's a performer, she's, she's kind of a triple threat, like Lin-Manuel Miranda is a triple threat. Um, and she uh, she said, well, I want to create some art that's going to help me connect people. So she began to write these songs. And as she wrote the songs, she realized that there might be a way to turn this into something people could could engage with more meaningfully. So she created this multi-part podcast series called Spells of the Sea. And that was kind of the first iteration of this story. Um, she had a teacher um, who is a longtime friend of Metro, an amazing uh, academic and dramaturg named Megan Allroots. Um, and Megan got in touch with Julia Flood, our artistic director, and said, hey, there's this really remarkable project that's starting to sort of take form. I think it, I think it's ready to move to the stage. Um, we want to develop it more, but would you be interested? And what was exciting is at the same time, another phenomenal human uh, in um, TYA theater, which is a theater for, for youth and families, theater for young audiences, uh, a woman named Megan Ann Rasmussen, who in addition to doing brilliant work um, as a director and, and as, a, as an academic is also um, a commercial producer. And she got interested in this project. So uh, Gwenny, and Julia and myself and Megan and Megan Ann all sort of came together and looked to see what this project might might want to be. Um, and uh, it was chosen out of just under, I think a thousand pieces to be workshopped last summer in Orlando as part of the Pegasus Play Labs. So we got a full two week workshop in Orlando. Um, and then we did another workshop of the piece here in St. Louis this past fall. Uh, and uh, the script came to final form, and it's here we are today. Uh, it's it's very exciting. Uh, the piece, though, tell you what the show is rather than just what the development of the piece is. It's the story of a girl who um, is trying to find herself in many ways. She's 15, um, and uh, her father, in sort of the mythology of this story, is the kind of the fisherman king of um, of their town. There's a lighthouse keeper who many years ago turned off the lighthouse. And uh, Finn's father, Ferris, is uh, the one fisherman who can go out to sea in the dark and still catch fish. And so uh, he is responsible for all the fish that feeds the town uh, by going out to sea. And a mysterious illness hits Ferris at the beginning of the story. And Finley finds out uh, through some mermaids that there is a way to perhaps save her father. And kind of in the spirit of the sort of great hero's quests, uh, she goes on this journey uh, and the journey takes her to sea and sort of forces her to team up with the very lighthouse keeper who turned off the light 20 years ago uh, in order to uh, find these ingredients to create the elixir of life. But as these sort of fairy tales go, not everything is what it seems. Uh, and even on the journey she takes, uh, she discovers some things about herself and she discovers uh, some problematic loopholes uh, in the um, elixir she's uh, working to create that um, lead to her having to make some very difficult choices. Um, but in the end, she finds her voice and she finds that she can fish as well. She didn't know that she knew how, but she learns that the way that she had fished just needs to be different than the way her dad had fished. Um, and uh, she comes to uh, to find her own way of doing things, uh, which is quite wonderful.
So that's a little bit of the story. There's great music. Um, there's wonderful costumes and and all sorts of great magic that makes this play possible as well. So I think audiences will really love seeing it live. Well, you have a big cast for this. And it is. Uh, yeah. And I've seen some, and the costumes look, uh, if you see the photo that I have, up, the costumes look really, uh, really fun. And uh, I noticed that Colin McLaughlin was playing the, the guitar. So you have some outstanding musicians as well. That's correct. We've got um, actually the entire ensemble doubles as the musicians for the show. So if you are familiar with kind of what John Doyle did with Sweeney Todd and with yeah. Company and with Merrily We Roll Along, this is, is in a similar vein. Um, but uh, what's what's splendid is in the world of, of uh, this town, the town the play is set in is called Bleary. In the town of Bleary, it just makes sense that people might have a fiddle, they might have an accordion, they might have a concertina or any number of other wonderful instruments. And uh, you just sort of see the music come to life uh, as, as the story progresses. Well, that's well, I, I, I've just learned that the show is 70 minutes with no intermission. And that is a trend that is going on now with newer plays that they're keeping them less than an hour and a half and they're blazing through with no intermission. Does, does that create any challenges or are you guys happy about the shorter plays? Well, since we produce a uh, theater for youth and families, that's actually the length of almost everything we do. We recognize that if you're coming with a child and this is a show that you can come to with an eight year old, an 18 year old, or frankly with an 80 year old, and you will all have a great time because it's kind of like the sort of Moanas and Encantos of the world, right? Where there's a story in it for young people, but the story- 85 minutes, yeah. Yes, the story is not dumbed down and you can be a, a, a young person at heart and still have an amazing experience seeing, seeing the piece too. So uh, in, in that way, it's, it's quite, a, quite a wonderful piece. But we know if you've got an eight-year-old with you, they might not have the attention span for two and a half hours plus intermission. So we try to make right. sure that everything we produce is sort of- mm, is calibrated to the needs of young people and, and it's meeting them where they are and respecting where they are um and you know we, we want them to have an amazing experience and not feel like you know the lights went off and when will they ever come back on and can i go to the bathroom <laughs> soon please so yeah. since this is a this is a new world premiere musical are they going to create a soundtrack that because if people love the songs they want to hear them everywhere and anywhere so is there plans for a soundtrack? That's an excellent question. Um, what I would say uh, at this point is uh, in having a commercial producing partner involved with this project with Megan Ann Rasmussen Productions, uh, Megan Ann has an eye towards this production's sort of long-term future life. Um, and uh, as part of that plan, uh, there there are um, uh, there's some venues that are not here in St. Louis that uh, she's looking at the production continuing on to uh, later in its life. Uh, and um, whether there is a recording here or there is a recording uh, of that subsequent production, um, I do not yet know the answer, but I do know um, that uh, some of the music, some of the early forms of the music, people can listen to through the podcast, uh, which is lovely. And actually what I think will be a lot of fun is if people check out the podcast of Spells of the Sea and they see the production, they'll see how the stories evolved and changed. 
They'll see what songs might have come and gone. Um, and they'll discover there's a bunch of new songs for what we're doing on stage that weren't in the original podcast. And there's some songs in the podcast that have changed a little bit along the way. Um, but the music's got some great earworms. So even if you can't immediately do a download on Spotify of this music, I think the music's going to stay in people's ears for quite some time. Excellent. Well, you can find out more at metroplays.org for the Metro Theater Company. And that's and theater spelled E-R. Yes. And uh, this weekend it opens because they did have a COVID delay, but everything's all well. And uh, they're going to have on Friday and Saturday, pay what you can. That's right. We, we offer a pay what you wish pricing for every production we do to try to ensure we're creating not just that geographic accessibility from streaming, but also economic accessibility as well. So normally it's the second weekend of our run, but as you mentioned, Lynn, um, we did unfortunately have for the first time since, since we came back from the pandemic in April of 2021, we had our first COVID related breakthrough case for an artist that led us to have to cancel. And sadly, what we had to cancel was our very first performance on Sunday, uh, February the 5th. So um, we have started performances this week for schools at 10 a.m. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, we've got uh, school day matinees. And then our first public shows uh, begin Friday at 7, Saturday at 1 and 4, and then Sunday at 2 this weekend. I'm going before the Super Bowl. <laughs> Because you. you can, well, sure, because you can fit it in, and why not? Because you know, well, Joe, does this mean that you're going to extend the run for a week? Gosh, I wish we could. Uh, but the Grandel Theater is a space that we rent from our friends, the Cranford Arts Foundation, and uh, that venue is in quite high demand. So, um, while we aren't able to extend the physical run, we do have the rights now to be able to extend the streaming run. So Ooh possible to continue to enjoy the production streaming through March the 12th, but the in-person production at the Grandel will still close on March the 5th. Well, another a thing that, that you've done, and, and I hope you continue, last year you were at Eckert's and you were at different venues all across the St. Louis region. Are you planning to do that again this summer with anything? That's another great question. Um, so we have been a touring company from sort of the beginning of the company's history. And there are always productions that we try to bring to multiple places. So um, our uh, later spring production this year is Go Dog Go. And um, uh, it is a very joyful production um, that uh, is the first time that we're bringing back a main stage, but it's our 50th season. We thought it was really important this season to not just look ahead to the future of great theater uh, for young people like we're doing with Spells of the Sea, but also to look back to our history of what's been especially beloved. So um, Go Dog Go is actually checking that box in two ways. It's a production we first mounted during our 35th season 15 years ago. Um, and uh, you may know when this company was founded, our original name was Metro Theater Circus. And the name of the company oh. changed in its first uh, 20, 25 years or so to become Metro Theater Company. Um, but for Go Dog Go, we are hearkening back to that circus feel. Um, and we'll be producing this show at the Big Top. As I mentioned, the uh, Grandel, which has been our primary home for uh, since 2018, uh, 2017 even, um, is in very high demand. 
So our friends at Cranford Arts Foundation um, were able to help us with an alternative venue to the Grandel for this production, um, the Big Top, which means it will be filled with really great sort of circus energy and circus elements that make it hard to take on the road. You can't you can't quite move aerialists to um, Eckert's or to Better Family Life or to Earth Dance uh, Farms or any of the other amazing places we took Granny's Garden. But this fall, when we start our 51st season, we will have um, at least one touring production in the roster um, that will be going to a few places. But we haven't announced that season yet, so I can't quite tell you. But we will have that season announced by the time we open Go Dog Go in April. Well, that's wonderful. And then also, Spells of the Sea, if you want to see a work in progress, so to speak, uh, because I expect great things from this. And so you'll hear about it down the road and you can say, I saw it in St. Louis when it was being, you know, ready. It's not it's not workshop. It is a fully formed play. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, we've we completed the development process. It is it is the final the production you'll see here will probably not vary significantly than the production you might see in the fall in another city should that transfer occur to a place that rhymes with blue stork. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that that's a wonderful thing, but it's always good to see what the uh what you all are doing for the youth of uh, the the region because it's it's as you know, it's really important to reach them. You don't know what what child you're going to inspire uh down the road and this looks like a very inspiring energetic cast of all ages it is it's it's a and and one thing that i didn't mention but i sort of alluded to is Gwenny, who's now finished at university of texas austin in addition to having written this piece she is starring as finley frankfurter so she is percent following in um in Lynn Manuel Miranda's footsteps as you might know when he brought in the heights to uh to Broadway he he played that lead long before he played Alexander Hamilton Hamilton he is uh he's a remarkable figure and, and Gwenny if you if you listen to this music you will definitely feel some connection to the kind of great things that Lynn's written for um you know for Disney and for many other spaces as well uh, it's it's no coincidence we were in Orlando workshopping the show, I'll say. <laughs> well, yeah. metroplays.org, metroplays.org. You can find out all the information and you can even get tickets there if you so desire. And, and Carl was Yes, go ahead. I was going to say I'm I want to thank Joe for letting us know about uh, Go Dog Go right before that's going to be right before Circus Flora takes over and so I'm glad that uh, first of all, that Kranzberg's putting more things in there than just just Circus Flora because that's there for many weeks. And then what? the only thing I knew that they all said, George Clinton played there last year after the Circus Flora was over. And that was the only time I ever knew that anything else was going there. I'm glad that Metro Theater is going to be there because I think that is a underutilized venue. Well, it's um, a, the it's Tennessee Williams, yeah. Venue. It is a wonderful venue. The Tennessee Williams Festival uh, did Rose Tattoo there last year, and they did and have they, aerialists. And they and they also, um, when they did Music at the Intersection, used the Big Top as a significant venue uh, as part of Music at the Intersection. So I know that Cranford Arts Foundation is working to um, try to program that space as much as as possible. It's a great space, and 
think when they sort of connected with Circus Floor in the way that they had did over the last few years and sort of took ownership of that space, um, it's it's helping that space to, I think, uh, see some wider audiences. It's 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 important though to do the right show in that space. You know, we we picked Go Dog Go because we said, well, we can do something that has a great circus feel sort of in this space, you know, and what Tennis Williams did with Rose Tattoo definitely was trying to have that sort of ambiance to the production. Um, and so for the right show, I think it's a it's a great space to be in. And I maybe it'll inspire more companies to think about how to integrate circus art into what they get outside theater. the big top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for your time. And I look forward to seeing it on Sunday and uh, break a leg. Thanks so much. We look forward to seeing you Sunday as well. Thanks, Joe. So, Carl, speaking of Disney, yes. I don't know, somewhere rolling, going. Uh, did you see the news yesterday that there's going to be Frozen sequels and another Toy Story? Frozen 3, Toy 5 Story, and Zootopia. I love Zootopia. I'm sorry. Zoo, well, do we need another one? Yeah, I watched I watched the series, the little series of shorts that they're doing on Disney Plus, and I know that the sloth one is going to be the best one. So of course I'm saving that one for last. Uh the first one was about the bunnies, and then the next one was about Judy Hops. The Judy shrews. Hops. Yeah, yeah. Judy Hops is in two of them. So, well, I had the I had the great fortune to interview the directors Byron Howard and Rich. I always forget his last name. I think it was Moore from Disney. Yes, Rich Moore, mm -hmm. and he is a veteran of the Simpsons. He did Marge in the Monorail and uh, the uh, Cape Fear, and Byron won another Oscar for Encanto last year. So those mm -hmm. two just to find out about their process, how they looked up different animals and they looked up the shrew to see what they did. And what they did with Zootopia was magical. And I'm happy to see whatever, but that sloth was just the greatest addition to that movie. And the fact that he worked at the DMV was just so good. So anyway, that's the news from Disney and I'm so confused now with all my bundles, all my streaming. I am so confused now because I have Showtime and Paramount Plus. So what am I going to do? And then I just found out from Disney that they might drop ESPN from no, they've the not, they they're not dropping ESPN. There there's going to be there's going to be parks and experiences, which would include like the Disney Cruise Line, and then you're going to have the product. They're not calling it movie or television production. They're just calling it the content production, and then you're having the third arm, which is ESPN. So that is that is that means, oh, I'm guessing in a year or two, ESPN will be its own thing and probably sold off. But even though Bob Iger said we're not selling off ESPN and we're not getting rid of Hulu, even though that's what everyone is saying. So it's so confusing. But right now, the biggest movie that Disney Plus has is Wakanda Forever the sequel to Black Panther and it's breaking records. And this week it is now available DVD and digital. So besides Disney plus, but it was first on Disney plus and people are finally getting a chance to see it. If they didn't see it at the, at the movies. 
And so, I wa- I'm caught up on the Bad Batch. Last week was part two of a two-part episode featuring Emperor Palpatine, and the Mandalorian starts up on March. Well, the first week of March, so it's exciting on Disney Plus right now. If you like Star Wars stuff or no. Marvel stuff, right? And well, then we're seeing Ant Man on Monday. Yes, we are, and uh, I, I hear great things about Jonathan Majors as well. He should because I'm 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 glad. He finally was having a moment because I remember when he hosted SNL and and my friends were like, who is this guy? And I'm like, haven't you seen Jonathan Majors in things? And so now he's getting his due. So that is wonderful. So uh, I was at the big female draw movie and I believe your wife was there too. She was. She waved to you and she said you were very ensconced in a conversation talking about this horrible film. Well, I gave it a pass because it is what it is. Uh Uh-huh. It's not. It's the flimsiest of stories. It's like Pretty Woman in reverse. You're not going for the story. It's Magic Mike 3, Magic Mike's Last Dance, which is... I mean, because the second one was Magic Mike XXL. Is that what the second one was? Yes. Now, the Kings of Tampa have moved on, but there is one Zoom call with Joe Mangello and uh, Matt Bomer and Alex Rodriguez. And my wife said that was very unfortunate. It was because it reminds you of those other guys. But these plots are thin. If you've seen the other movies and Steven Soderbergh is back, Oscar winner for traffic is back doing this again. And it's become this franchise, but uh, in this very silly plot. uh, Wait, there's a plot. You mean they don't just get around half naked? My wife said, I said, was it very sexual? And she said, there is a lot of suggestions of sex. Yes. Yes. Well, the thing is, my sexual not sexy or no i think i think you don't see any butts or wieners well they they cut to the chase right away with this steamy dance that some hike pays for because she is a a very wealthy socialite going through an ugly divorce because her husband has all the money and uh mike is bartending because his his furniture if you know any backstory about Magic Mike, a.k.a. Channing Tatum. Mike I Lane. don't. He was a roofer by day and a stripper by night, the star attraction of the Kings of Tampa. And he his dream was to design furniture. So cut to post-pandemic and his furniture business has gone bust and he is working as a bartender. And at this uh, society fundraiser uh, at Salma Hayek's a sh- chic place in Miami, uh, somebody recognizes him from uh, a stripper party where he played the cop. And she tells Salma Hayek about him. And so Salma offers him $6,000 for a dance. Okay. So they cut to I'd the chase. That. They cut to the chase right away with this very elaborate, very steamy dance showing off 
Channing Tatum's chiseled abs. And then she decides to make him an offer he can't refuse. She takes him to London where she owns a theater and they have some very British stuffy show there. And she is going to do a one night only strip tease extravaganza for the ladies so they can feel what she felt at the dance. So they, they audition all these great dancers. Now, these guys are very good dancers and I wish they would have spent some time on them because uh, why the, can't why can't his old friends come to London? Because I guess they're too old. I don't know. I don't okay. know why. But we have these new guys. They barely register because there's no time. We have a soap opera plot. We have her daughter that fights with her mother. We have a manservant that's got a dry wit like Mr. French, you know. And then we have Channing and Selma having to work through all this stuff because her husband's going to cut off the money, blah, blah, blah. And it's a ridiculous plot. So, but is anybody going to this that isn't going to, um, isn't ready for the gyrating and the pulsing dance music? No, nobody's going to this for a plot. So basically it's geared for women it's coming out before Valentine's Day. It's coming out Super Bowl weekend. It's coming out so women can get their girlfriends together and go and hoot and holler. Okay. I'm glad I didn't go. I haven't seen any of them. It did. My wife did say that it made her want to watch the first two again because those were better than this one. Well, I don't know but they are they are the same they are are what they are like the first one uh he has a protege alex pedophore remember him like whatever happened to that guy and he's underage but uh channing takes him under his wing and then they do that and then the last one was ridiculous because it was this road show they're going to a stripper convention and they meet all these different kinds of ladies on the road trip well, uh, and I also heard that it doesn't make sense to give him a girlfriend for the whole movie. Well, I guess that, that I don't know. I don't care. I don't know. Uh, but some like, boy, she was. Thandie Newton was supposed to be this wealthy socialite. So that would have given it a bigger Brit feel to it. Well, Soderbergh mm-hmm. directs this and he's got this montage of British souvenirs. Like, you know, the little phone booths and the little, you know, British and stuff like that. It's like, Soderbergh, what's wrong with you? You know, like you're showing a gift shop. And then uh, in a pretty woman twist, she takes him to Liberty, the department store, and she buys him a bunch of clothes. Why wouldn't she take him to Harrods? Okay. But uh, it's that kind of thing. And Salma Hayek uh, plays the socialite. But, you know, she looks good. They seem to have some sort of chemistry together. And uh, it's not as bad as, uh, like, some people thought it was very entertaining. And I just said to Pete yesterday, it is what it is. You know? Was it better than 80 for Brady? I didn't see that. 
I I read the I took a I took a 60 question quiz from Vulture about what you think happens in 80 for Brady. And I did very well because I just picked the stupidest things. And every single one of those things happens in that movie. So I have I'm glad I didn't see it and I have no desire to see it. Well, I it just looks ridiculous and it's pandering to an older audience. Now, this is firmly geared pandering for all thought. women. Yes. So women with we'll, pulses. Yes. We'll see what happens. But Channing, who started as a dancer and a stripper, he that's how he got in the biz, has worked with Soderbergh before. And uh it's interesting. But Think about this. Soderbergh directed Sex, Lies, and Videotape in 1989, uh, yes. broke through at Sundance with that film. And then, of course, if you saw Out of Sight, you know the chemistry between George Clooney and J-Lo. And yes. uh, so the guy knows, you know, but I don't know. I just think it's weird because he has a pseudonym for his editing because i tutor was there and i said he didn't edit it and tutor goes yes he did he used his pseudonyms he used those and he knew huh. but Soderbergh, get this it was supposed to be on hbo max it was supposed to go directly there because if you notice soderberg's last couple projects with warner brothers went straight yeah they went to HBO. HBO but that was that was the whole that was the whole warner brothers slate two years ago Right. So now Soderbergh wanted to show it in theaters, thinking that the women are going to, you know, the pheromones or whatever. Who knows? I don't know. But it is what it is. Let's talk about something that is near and dear to your heart. uh, Writing and editing. Yes, this is such a wonderful documentary. Turn Every Page, The Adventures of Robert Caro and Robert Gottlieb. And I confess, I was not familiar with them. And I'm ashamed to say that because uh, Caro has written some of the greatest biographies ever. He did the, uh, a book LBJ. called- LBJ. Yeah, he did four of five volumes on- LBJ, his fifth one is what he's working on in this movie. And uh, he did a book called The Power Broker about this urban planner in New York that during the height of all the Zoom uh, people on TV for the interviews, every bookcase had this book, The Power Broker, in it. And so he's famous. He's 80 six years old and Godlieb, his editor is 91 this is a man who was a, a publisher at simon and schuster and alfred knopf those are the prestige houses in new york he edited tony morrison uh sound rushdie he his who's who of all the books he has edited is you know, literature in the 20, 20th century. So they have worked together for 50 years. And Gottlieb's daughter did this documentary. And if you love the written word, if you celebrate the uh, a good editor, because anybody in print knows what a good editor does. And it's just wonderful. These guys are just titans in their profession. 
and you see them working together and they have a fight about semicolons. <laughs> huh. It's just funny. You know, a work humor, but it just goes beyond to me, it goes beyond that. If you are a reader of books, you will appreciate this because it's a lost art. And it's at Plaza and Frontenac start Friday. So as as someone who has written a lot, you appreciate a good editor. Yes. There because should be they what there should be more editing out there? There should be. And I think we've all seen it. Yes. Self-edit. Yes. As my well, wife keeps telling me, self-edit. Yes. Well, but it's just it's a joyous, it's a joyous book. It teaches you things about these are fascinating men these are mm -hmm. two guys who have led very colorful interesting lives and uh i just think it's it's good to know people like that because does her does his daughter make an appearance in it or is she just yes. directing it from behind yes. she does yeah she makes an appearance because they they initially said no to her <laughs> they were like no mm -mm, we don't want to do this they're very private this is our thing Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's uh oh, just to see like the font of the old typewriter, the guy sitting there like these giant manuscripts, and he's just red pen in it. My journalism uh, students know all about my red pen. Yes, so, they do. Yes, everybody, they do. every every good newspaper person loves a red pen. Yep, this one student of mine who went on to write books said to me. You were the only person you would you would hand back a paper and it would be full of red, but you'd be nice about it. Uh, <laughs> the other people weren't so nice. Yeah, well, well, you know, our friends at the uh, St. Louis Cinema St. Louis, they have uh, opened up the High Point Theater and the one of the top films of the year everywhere. All wait. Everything everywhere all at once is showing because they want as many people to see it as possible, even though that is not the front runner for best picture right now. What is? Um, it's it depends on who you talk to. Uh if if you talk to some people, they say it's uh banshees. Other people say the Fablemans is a dark horse to win because people like Spielberg. Well, Spielberg's gonna win director. Which I think it's unfortunate because to me it's not his best work, but that's my the opinion. Daniels. But it's right. a sense, yeah, the Daniels should win. And I think it's uh, Spielberg, um, as much as I admire him and appreciate him, um, yeah, you know, he's won before for um, things. And I Sh hope Schindler's he, List. Yeah. And Saving Private Ryan. He did well, win see, that even they, though he lost picture. Right. They're all like everything, everywhere, all at once. And Banshees and Fablemans, they're all like right there, neck and neck on Gold Derby. So, well, I think Top, I think Top Gun Maverick could pull it off, pull the upset. I really do because it's a crowd pleaser. And we know from last year, Coda was a crowd pleaser. And the way they vote, the way they rank them has a lot to do with how that is. I don't think Elvis has got a chance because Boz didn't get director. Not, but uh, I'm interested. And Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Brendan Fraser is playing the game now and it's not yeah. Frazier. It's Brendan Fraser. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, um, 
Although I do think Austin Butler should win for that performance. I have a feeling sentimental. It's going to be a sentimental night, I think. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens uh, with the other nominations for everything, mm -hmm. everywhere, all at once. But technical, I would think that that's where it's going to shine hopefully but another thing that the the high point is going to do because it ends thursday night the ninth everything everywhere all at once they're going to show the oscar shorts good at high point the typically used to do that right and i love that because you get to see the animated shorts the documentary and the shorts, live shorts mm -hmm. and the live action shorts. And that will make a difference in your Oscar ballot, because if you see them, then you can pick which one that right. you think is going to going to, you know, go. I haven't seen I'm I'm very behind on the international features and also on that. Have you seen to Leslie yet, Carl? No one's seen to Leslie. No one's seen it. Well, you can buy it on Amazon for six ninety nine. Okay, or I cannot. Or well, rent it. I meant you can rent yes. it for six ninety nine. Even though everyone who says it says she's fantastic. Yes, yes, and she didn't do anything that anybody else hasn't ever done. You know, True. I mean, it's just one of those those Oscar games, but the fact is that they used Richard Roper quote about Kate Blanchett and you are not supposed to mention another nominee. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately. And that's, and that's what happened there. So um in the uh I'm going to watch I didn't have time to see it yet, but on Paramount Plus is a rom com called At Midnight. And I just got the link yesterday. So I will okay. watch that for next week for, for Paramount Plus. But uh, in the St. Louis theater community, we have a whole lot of openings. Uh, I just saw Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf last night at Steppenwolf. It is a powerhouse. It is bravura performances. It's a fresh perspective on that work. It's explosive. It's just a stunning piece of theater. And I highly recommend anybody who loves theater to go see Stray Dogs. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Um, I would stay away from the reps side by side by Sondheim because it's crap. Ha! What did you think of the uh, Circle Award nominations? Uh, as a voter, I was happy. Of course, we always you know, leave out some people, but I like that we mix it up with the smaller companies versus the larger companies. If you want to see our nominations, they are on my website, poplifestl.com. We're well, returning. The Muni got uh, the most nominations. 21. As, for a, their as show. a theater company, right. And the Stages got 19. The Black Rep got 17. And Stray Dog got 15 which is really great and um a lot of these companies because they're smaller they rely on grant money you know and so nominations help 
get them grant money, which is good. We are returning live in person for the first time since 2019 because mm -hmm. we did not have a live show in 2021. Uh, we had a, well, in 2419, we had HEC Media do it and we taped in our little thing. And then we obviously with no theater, we didn't have one in 21. So last year we were going to do it live, but then we had that variant, that Omicron variant happen. And so we right. did it HEC again, but this year, April 3rd, a Monday theater prom returns. That's what we call it. Huh. And it's yeah. $23 tickets and you can get them at the rep box office and uh, it's going to be at the Loretta Hilton at the rep. And uh, we're excited because we are finally back and uh, it should be a really fun night. So yeah, um, the, the, in the Heights was the big, uh, it got 11 nominations for stages and then Sweeney Todd got nine nominations for the Muni. Mm -hmm. So those are the the big productions there, but also smaller companies, Assassins by Flying North Theatricals. By the way, Flying North has taken over that former Way Out Club on Jefferson. Yes, I knew that. I'd heard that. So we got to have those Flying North guys on again. But there's there's Assassins by Sondheim was brilliant, and uh, we have. Uh, Ride the Cyclone by Stray Dog and Something Rotten at New Line. So some of the smaller companies got uh, got mentioned too, which is very good. And then um, what else is showing up? Spells of the Sea is yes. this weekend. And then uh, there's a an Irish play by John Michael Shanley, who wrote Moonstruck. Everybody remembers that. Um, mm -hmm. That is called Outside Mullingham. And West End Players Guild, they do a great job with the Irish plays because they did Martin McDonough's The Lonesome West last year. Speaking of banshees. Mm -hmm. So I guess Martin McDonough is going to win for best original screenplay, don't you think? Well, I think it's going to be one of those shotgun years where everybody, every production gets something unless something is shut out, which I don't uh because then the next day they can say winner of two Academy Awards, winner of, you know, because I don't think I think the way things are going now, you you don't have a big sweep anymore. You used to have super sweeps, but now because the the Academy is more diverse. And so it, it it seems like everybody gets it's not like everybody gets a trophy, but everybody gets a trophy. <laughs> Yeah, I could see that. Um, I would really like to see Michelle Yeoh win. I think Kate Blanchett. Uh, you don't like a, that movie. I don't like it, but she has two already. So? Well. So? I know. Well, she, so? plays, pedophile. she plays pedophile. Okay. Uh, Groomer, right. yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So anyway, but I would really like to see... Um, Key Hoi Kwan win short round actor. And that would be a yeah. lovely moment. 
And I don't know who's going to win supporting actors. Yeah, you do. It's good. That's Angela Bassett. That's that's locked up. Oh, you think? Okay. Yes, Angela Bassett's going to win. Definitely. Well, what about Ruth Carter for costumes again for Black Panther? Well, see, then then Marvel can say, look, we did it again. Well, Angela Bassett will be the first Marvel actress to win. Yeah. The first one nominated. So that's pretty impressive. Yes. Yeah. So what else is okay? I think we are. We have to we have to get out of here because I have to leave this studio. So where can we find you, Lynn? I'm on poplifestl.com. You want to read my review of the rep side, best side, best sometime. That's there. And I am in the Webster Kirkwood Times. And I had a delightful interview with the new associate artistic director at the rep, Reggie White. That'll be in next week. This week, I have an interview with the new general manager of the Kirkwood Performing Arts Center, Amy Crabtree. Liz Crabtree. Liz Crabtree. Elizabeth. And and guess what? They are bringing in a fine arts series to KPAC where they're going to have like international and nationally known artists. How about that? That'll start in the fall after stages is finished with its season. And uh, so she's going to do that. And she is doing a special folk art series using artists in residence, Missouri artists in residence. So that's exciting for KPEC. So if you want to read my story, it's in the Webster Kirkwood Times on February 10th. And uh, I am also on KTRS every Friday morning with Jennifer Blom and Wendy Weiss talking movies and entertainment. Well, you can find me Monday through Friday on the Mark Cox Morning Show on 97.1. FM Talk, and then on the weekends, 97.1 FM Talk and KMOX on Second Amendment Radio and The Great Outdoors. I'm on the radio seven days a week. And you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Carl the Intern. Lynn, have a great weekend. And the Blues are back on Saturday, so that'll be good. Well, that's where you'll be. Have you watched The Last of Us yet? Because I got to dive in. No, I haven't because... Every time I do it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that episode is 80 minutes long. That one is 75 minutes long. I I will watch it. I'm, I'm, it's not going to be one of these that gets away from me, even though we're already tomorrow. Episode five comes out. So I will get it. I will get to it. It's going to happen. All right. Well, you have a great weekend, Carl. All right, Lynn. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Stay safe, everybody. Bye.